Drugs. Rights. Quality of life. Recovery. Harm reduction. Advocacy. Policy. Treatment. Stigma. Drugs Uncut. The Scottish Drugs Forum Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to Drugs Uncut, the Scottish Drugs Forum podcast. It's another beautiful day in Scotland and we've just been discussing behind the scenes a little bit about how we all wish we could be outside but at the moment we are at our computers ready to provide another service to you guys with the Scottish Drugs Forum, Drugs Uncut podcast. And today uh, we have our regular contributors, Kirsten, Austin and myself, Andy Coffey. And we're also delighted to have uh, our guest today, Hugh Hill from the Simon community join us. So hello everyone, how are you getting on? How are you doing? Yep, good thanks. Enjoying the shade. <laughs> <laughs> but they say, you know, too, too much of something is, uh, you know, can be a bad thing. So, you know, it's good that you can see the, the sun at least. For, you know, you, yeah, don't yeah. Be, you don't want to be outside in it all the time. No, 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 no. I wouldn't be, want you to be enjoying yourself. Yeah, you're not in the least bit convincing there, by the way, but we'll, uh, but we'll go with that. I had to literally drag my dog off the grass to come in so I wasn't late. He was just refusing to move off the grass because he just wanted to lie and sunbathe. So I felt his pain. <laughs> you can't understand it. He's he's just looking at you like why why human are you just wanting to be locked inside staring at a screen the whole time? If only he knew. So uh, so Hugh, you're the director of services at the Simon Community. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the organisation that you work for? Yeah yeah sure. I mean I was I was listening to um, a couple of kind of previous podcasts and like custom my my background is nursing. I was a uh, quite some time ago now, I only kind of uh, gave up my registration last year. Um, so mental health is my background and, and it was predominantly working with um, complex needs uh, around Merseyside in Cheshire. Uh, it was, was where I did most of my, my, my mental health work. And then back up to Scotland to work with um, Health Board and Commissioning around mental health services and and then on to what was Sam H for a while um, with them. So my background has always been around kind of mental health and multi-agency working and complex needs, which has been um, both exciting and frustrating and, and equal measure uh, over over the piece. Um, and I joined Simon Community five years ago now, five, six years, kind of the blink of an eye, really. Um, and the focus, you know, it's, it's despite the fact that we, we, we describe ourselves as a homeless service that's the client group really isn't that much different than it was down in Liverpool, Cheshire, Stockport. You know, it's 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 people who predominantly have experienced trauma and then life um, takes them through down a path that, that that inevitably takes them into contact with services. So so yeah, it's, it seems on the surface a very different kind of job than, than my history would suggest, but actually I recognise the same people, strangely enough. That's that, that's so true. I, I worked in homelessness in Glasgow. I was uh, part of the partnership uh, in Glasgow that resolved Glasgow's homelessness problem that you've since picked up you. So, and that was what struck me then. I, I had worked for Scottish Drugs Forum before that uh, period and those people that I used to think of as people with a drug problem were just exactly the same people with different labels. They, they were regarded as people affected by homelessness. But the, the core issues were the same. And of course, in those days, what we were doing, we were getting to them to assert their rights uh, and uh, to accommodation and a, and a house and a, and a home uh, as opposed to just accommodation. So that's it's interesting that you know that those that work still exists, that group still exists, and that city centre group has actually expanded. There's more rough sleeping in Glasgow than there was when we were addressing homelessness and decommissioning the hostels and so on. 
So it'd be interesting to reflect on that and about what left those people on the streets and how they then uh, have, uh, under the COVID uh, emergency, have been accommodated and what that's been like. But sorry, I'm interrupting, so <laughs> do continue. <laughs> well, no, I was just actually just going to ask you if, I suppose actually you just kind of highlighted it there, uh, talking about how many of the issues that affect people who, who are experiencing homelessness, homelessness are you know, almost can be universal across across many areas. But but as for Scotland, um, what are some of the you know what, paint the scene for 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 homelessness in, in Scotland? What's the what's the background for that for our listeners? Um, for anybody listening outside of Scotland, certainly the Scotland has got a very progressive approach to homelessness and to housing, and the challenges that we face in Scotland are are absolutely manageable you know in terms of what scotland can do to to really tackle in um, homelessness is is um, certainly within within our grasp and might even be even more so within our grasp um, post covid but um but we probably get around i think it's around thirty six thousand applications a year around homelessness for for Simon community we work with a very kind of niche group within that so we are talking about people with complex needs and, and I'll come back to that in a minute but um the the kind of presentation of homelessness probably reflects that of, of most other countries in terms of relationship breakdowns and poverty and um you know um, trauma within that but certainly the, the the people that we work with and it goes back to what you were saying about the the, the kind of nature of the client group um I said we describe ourselves as a homelessness charity and and I don't think we're going to change that as such but we do actually what we do is we don't provide homes we don't actually uh, resolve people's homelessness what we work with is trauma we work with with people who have experienced trauma and the consequences of that so we're kind of almost like you know we're probably sometimes better described as a, a trauma service rather than a homelessness service because almost universally the people that we're working with um have got trauma in their lives, are experiencing trauma now, and are almost inevitably going to experience trauma in terms of their, their, their current lifestyle and the the, the risk behaviours and the risk situations that they, they, they find themselves in. Um, in terms of rough sleeping, um, again, you know, I've 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 had the the absolute pleasure of visiting country uh, cities like Paris and Lisbon and. Even Limerick, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's heartbreaking to see families um, on the streets of these cities, and we don't have that in Scotland. Um, before COVID, the number of actual kind of almost entrenched rough sleepers in Glasgow rarely went above thirty, and in Edinburgh it was probably about three, four times that. Edinburgh's got different circumstances, um, so when you compare our our cities, like Glasgow to Manchester, you know, there is no comparison in terms of, of the challenges that we face, which is why I was saying, you know, that the ability to resolve rough sleeping, the ability to really um, tackle those those key issues around homelessness are absolutely within our within our grasp in Scotland. Um, so yeah, we're in a we're in a Scotland's in a real good place in terms of homelessness, um, and it's very progressive, and I think the future's you know looking really optimistic as well. I guess uh, the whole COVID situation turned around um, and what has been the response for people who were rough sleeping or experiencing homelessness in relation to COVID because it's obviously you know there's been some significant challenges even just getting the messaging out to people who are experiencing uh, those issues 
because they're not looking at the same media that we're looking at. They're not hearing the same things from the TV or radio. So what what's if you could just describe some of those challenges? <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we, we kind of we kinda expected those challenges to coming up, to be fair. And, you know, on, on the whole, uh, the, 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 the people that are, that are most in contact, yeah, they're, they're not connected digitally. They're not on they're not on media. They don't read newspapers. Their conversations aren't about you know the impact of of pandemics and and, and what that means to them. So, when when services in the early days, a lot of services kind of closed very quickly. A lot of them shut down and and, and sort of staff were sort of furloughed or um, they just kind of uh, significantly reduced what they were providing. And a lot of the guys were just really pissed off and just saying you know what on earth is this about? Um, and our staff, we, we thankfully our street team and our hub team were, were out every day and, and we just kept giving the same message there's a pandemic guys this is what a pandemic is this is what it means this is how it impacts you this is a public health advice and it was constantly repeating that message about how to stay safe how to look after themselves and to try and explain what was happening in the world because they, they genuinely just were going to stand there going i don't get this why you know why is this no and getting getting a little bit frustrated that that things services that they come to depend on whether it was for food or for IEP, suddenly things were changing and they, they really struggled to get their head around that. Um that that was that was one of the that was probably one of the biggest challenges because what's come out of the, the process has been actually hugely positive. And one of the great things that's come out of this is the ability to get people off the street and get them into good accommodation and um, you know particularly the hotels that um, that we are providing services to in Edinburgh and Glasgow. And people who you couldn't get off the street for because they they'd given up. They were like every you know the, the the ability to be housed was was so far off the mark. They weren't interested. What happened? Not been there, done that. Got the t-shirt. I'm not going to do that again. And we could say to them, "We'll get you in in half an hour. We'll go with you. We'll walk with you. We'll take you in. You've got a place to stay." So we 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 started to really get people off the street. And then some of the other guys that, that were that were certainly within that what we call kind of street lifestyles um cycle where where begging revenue was a significant draw for them to be on the street. When the footfall dropped and the begging revenue dropped, they for the first time in years are now in treatment and are now off the street and are now accessing services that we couldn't get them to access before because the motivation, the reason for change didn't exist because all the needs were being met on the street the money food network company you know drugs were being delivered by bike you know everything was there so but when that all stopped you know it was um people moved into treatment and moved into support ways we couldn't get into before so so it was it was it's been a massive change in both cities in terms of getting you know people off the street who you know, some of them have been rough sleeping for you know five years plus, uh, and we've tried everything before to get them in, and all of a sudden we've got them into accommodation, support is in place, healthcare is in place, um, and some of them are moving on now to more settled accommodation and actually saying I'm not going back to the streets. So, so yeah, it's been it's been, you know, within a context of recognising that people are dying. You know, this is not a this is not a a good place to be in in terms of a pandemic. But for a lot of the guys out there, this this has been a really positive period in their life because services have responded and adapted to the situation in a really good way. So, 
lots of lots more positives and negatives, funnily enough. And of course, of course, that was the the dream of uh, Housing First, which you know was first recommended to the Scottish government in two thousand and eight. Um, so it's got a long history that notion that we shouldn't be offering people hope and saying you know things could work out for you uh, uh, under the following conditions and if you change your behaviour and so on that we would get give people the accommodation they were entitled to in, in the form of a house or flat or whatever and they would have a home and from that home we would then use that as a basis to engage people around services that they thought were useful to them which might be around their, their substance use or, or other aspects of their life their mental health and trauma as you say so actually we've actually without the house, but with the accommodation, we've actually managed to to demonstrate that that would work if we could move people quickly instead of talking optimistically about what might happen to them in the future. As you say, walk, walk them along the roads and take them somewhere where life could be obviously and palpably different for, for them. Um, then people do engage. I mean, I, I was always told, and this was a, a myth amongst homeless workers, it was people who wanted to sleep rough, that that was where they, they were and they would never come off the street and... Um, you know, so, and some people couched that in terms of lifestyle choice, and other people were a bit more understanding couched it in terms of you know people are so traumatised they can't they can't exist in a, another environment. But it's been interesting that actually, I mean, have you found any resistance at all? Is there anyone? Well, yes. Um, the, the there are there are a number of people, and certainly uh, both cities, Edinburgh, Glasgow. And it's it's people with significant, well, serious mental health problems. Yeah, yeah. So, and they 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 represent a particularly challenging group, and we're talking um, interagency at the moment about you know what can we do differently for the, for for these guys, and and some of it is is down to symptoms. You know, they are, they can be so paranoid yeah. that part of their their survival is about not staying in the same place for more than six hours because somebody or some agency or something yeah, from yeah. from out of our planet will will come and do terrible harm to them or to the people they know so so they, they are constantly on the move and, and what's driving them is the, is the symptoms of psychosis um and that's very very difficult yet yeah, but to get someone like that into accommodation is, is pretty much impossible unless you're able to treat the mental health issues mm. because they, that they are they're consumed by their fear um and it's a very real fear for them. It's it's absolutely, and I've lived with that fear and survival for many years. So, so there is a core group out there, and mental, you know, serious mental health uh, issues are, are at the heart of that, in terms of you know really struggling to find a solution for them. Mm. Um, but it's maybe a wider discussion with groups like the mental, the mental welfare commission, and with, you know, NHS Scotland about you know a different kind of approach to to um, responding to these people that. Uh, will not seek, will not ask for treatment, but are, are living a survival existence. Yeah. And and have you, are you able to share with us the number of people who have been accommodated in the, in the hotels? The the, the hotels, are, we've got one in, in Glasgow uh, and there's 56 people in there. In Edinburgh, we've got two and there's about 100. So we're, we're, we're Simon Community, are currently supporting uh, around 150 people in the hotels. Um, across uh, Glasgow, I can't say so much about Edinburgh, but certainly the, the numbers of people in emergency accommodation, a short-term accommodation in Glasgow is 450 plus now, I think, you know, it's a significant amount. Um, and that's that's clearly not all people who have been rough sleeping were, I mean, I think we'll probably know more after the event, but certainly we're finding that people that, that would normally sofa surf 
are not able yeah. to do that because they're, you know, because people are self-isolating and, you know, we're in lockdown, so the options have, have significantly dried out. Uh, we've had people who've lost their jobs and lost their accommodation that's gone with the jobs. We've had people migrating towards the city. Um, we've had people presenting that we'd never have presented otherwise because they know there's actually a response. Um, and at the same time, we've been able to focus like, the street team out to really track down and find some of the most difficult to reach people. Uh, and that's why we're, we're now down to quite a kind of closely defined list of people that we can't currently get off the street um, because we've been, we've, we've been focusing on them because we've been able to get most of the other guys uh, into accommodation. So, um, so... Yeah, it's, it, the numbers are, are, are pretty significant. And I think going back to what you were saying about housing first, you're absolutely right. It's it's there's something about hope and, and opportunity in that. And and I would I would certainly highlight Edinburgh, the, the, the kind of response from the, the, the different agencies in Edinburgh has been, you know, spectacular. Uh, and they've seen this, they've really grasped this as an opportunity. So within the hotel, um, you know, there's, there's GP surgeries. Um, it's just moved to three times a week, but it was every day initially. Um, it's dropped down because the demand isn't there. Uh, we had sexual health nurses going on site, harm reduction was on site, IEP was being delivered on site. We had same day prescribing. Uh, even the hotel staff were getting trained to give naloxone. Um, you know, the response was absolutely phenomenal. So, so we had people, as I say, who'd never been in support before and all of a sudden they were in this place where the support was coming to them uh, more recently public health have been working with us and we've been issuing vapes to people and we're running a trial um, because one of the issues about smoking in the hotel doesn't go down well um, so we've been issuing vapes but we've got people into smoking cessation you know things that are just like we'd never have thought of two months ago people like you're never going to get them to think about giving up smoking or changing their smoking habits um, but as I said, it's 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 not just about getting people off the streets. So, well, what do you do with that? And and I think Edinburgh has been a great example of if you coordinate and you you bring services to people, they will access them. They will make use of them, and you can change lives doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been a brilliant example of what can be achieved. Um, I I think I've spoken on a couple of um podcasts or or videos recently about the frustrations that this could have all been done because we had a drug deaths crisis and you know why we needed a pandemic on top of that so we've now got a dual public health emergency and thankfully things are moving in the right direction but there is definitely a frustration that, that these things could have been getting done previously but I'm interested to hear more about um what your thoughts are on changes to drug trends or to overdose trends at all that you've noticed with people who use drugs who've been accommodated as well? Yeah, it, it, it's it's mostly anecdotal stuff. It's one of the really interesting things that we we, we lost a service user um, this week um, in Lanarkshire and... We we know the circumstances because we were we were speaking to the family, but but generally speaking, we we don't find out with any certainty what what happens. We don't get any kind of follow up in a couple of months' time in terms of, you know, cause of death. Um. So the the, the our ability to understand what's happening currently, we're always behind the curve in terms of information, uh, and that can be really. 
really trying in terms of if sometimes we feel as if, if we knew more about the trends, if we knew more of what was happening out there, if we knew more about you know changing patterns of availability and strength, we'd be able to work much closer with people and um, at least give them the heads up that they might be able to look after themselves. But more often than not, we're, we're coming behind a number of deaths and saying, look, you know, something's changed out there, we need you to be careful. Um, initially we were getting we were getting suggestions about it, things were, were hard to come by, the prices were going up. Um, we haven't noticed any, any significant changes in supply, but we, we are seeing, particularly in the people in emergency accommodation, there's quite a lot of debt getting getting uh, racked up, and that's going to have consequences for, for those people um, moving forward. Um, I think that's one of the other disadvantages in, in so many people being accommodated within such a close proximity in terms of the city centre. It's, it's perhaps created an opportunity for the dealers to exploit in terms of having so many vulnerable people in, in, in such close proximity. Um, from from our perspective, we're, we're not seeing any massive significant changes uh, around around usage. Um, we are concerned, I think, that most people that we've heard heroin is being, um, is being cut more, and if supplies in, increase, then the quality will increase and overdoses will increase. Uh, and that was that has been one of the suggestions about the, the unfortunate death we had in Lanarkshire this week that it was a, a very strong um, um, amount of heroin that was out there. So, I think I would say one of the kind of positive things that's come out of this, and and we hope that 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 something will be retained by this is the seven day prescribing in terms of of a uh, methadone and. and it's an unintended consequence, but a really positive one, and people not having to go to the pharmacy every day and being basically harassed by dealers, sometimes on three separate occasions on the way to the pharmacy. Um, they do catch them on the way to the pharmacy and on the way back for obvious reasons, um, because they're more vulnerable on the way there, but not having to go every day has actually... Um, Given a sense of stability and calm for them that you know that wasn't there before, and and those are some of the things that I, I would hope we can learn lessons from, um, and we can actually think differently about about how we how we prescribe and how we support people to yeah have more control, have more dignity, have more self esteem, and not be exposed to some of the dangers of, that that exist out there, um, just in even getting back and forward to the pharmacy. So so yeah, I mean, I, it's in some ways it's been really it's been good. We haven't seen any massive changes. We've 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 had a couple of deaths in the last couple of months, and it's been it's been really sad. But for us, that's a significant reduction in in the trend that we were seeing right up until November last year. Yeah. Um, so we seem to be in a much better place now in terms of overdoses and drug deaths. We're not hitting the kind of numbers that we expected to to have. Uh, and we seem to be going back the way now, which is really good. And you mentioned Lanarkshire there, and that's really sad to hear that you had a loss for that service because, like you say, you've you've you hadn't had deaths in services for for quite a while, um, and that that trend has definitely seemed to have gone downwards for you. But you are trialing some technology in that residential service as well, and I was wondering if you'd be able to talk to us a bit more about that because this is a a new thing that's coming up a lot, and I've been involved in a lot of groups talking about telehealth care and technology to identify overdoses or for first responders. Um, and I just wondered if you could talk a bit more because it sounds like quite an exciting pilot that you've got going on. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it came out of something. It came out of some really tragic events last last year, and it was one of our services where it was over the course of a weekend. Three of our three of our ladies had overdosed. Um, two of them we knew about, and we knew they were using, and and we have measures in place to keep people safe and to make sure that you know you know we do everything we can to keep them safe, and we were able to sort of um, 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 catch those overdoses. They both ended up actually in intensive care that weekend. But they both come back to the service and were both well. But one of the other women that we didn't know was using, who wasn't sharing with us and wasn't talking to us about her drug use, eh, sadly we found her dead the following morning. And it was, we knew it was a tragedy that could be avoided, as many of them can be. Um, and it had such a huge impact in staff. And we were just sitting down thinking, what can we do about this? Is there, is there any, you know, any solution? Um, and in terms of overdoses and, and, and drug deaths, I think for us, there is no silver bullet. If there was a silver bullet, we'd all be firing it. So our approach has always been, it's kind of like the sky cycling team, you know, marginal gains. Do do everything you can. One thing alone isn't going to solve this or isn't going to keep somebody safe. But, you know, 12 things might. So, so we started to think, you know, well, what could we do? Was there... Was there some other way that would alert us to somebody having an overdose if if you know we weren't aware they were they were using drugs? So we started working with a company called Caresam and we're trialing uh, both uh, sensors in in rooms, which uh, using radar and mattress sensors, and the, the the intention is that the the equipment is accurate enough to measure breathing rate, which is really the the, the kind of key trigger that we're looking at here. So, and we want to keep this really simple. So the the, the intention is that um, the room is equipped with passive sensors, so people don't have to wear anything. You don't have to switch anything on. It's in the it's in the room. It's part of your 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 kind of admission kind of procedure in terms of this is just something that we have here uh, to keep you safe. And if your breathing drops below seven, it sets off an alarm. And the alarm is on a mobile phone that the the, the staff on site carry so there's no CCTV it's not people sitting watching the screen so it basically was beep 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 room four and that alerts staff to go and check that person in room four to make sure that they're okay um, and it's really trying to keep it as simple as that and it's not about changing what we already do we still do our welfare checks we still talk to people we still you know make sure that people are safe so it, it's not to replace anything but it's to fill that small gap that existed, you know, from last year where we didn't have that knowledge and therefore, you know, we had a tragedy as a result. So we're we're we've been doing the setup for the last six months. Over the it's been most other things kinda of knocked out, out the way a bit with COVID. But we're looking to move it to the next stage in the next couple of months uh, and really kinda of nail it down to see, you know, how we can make this work, how we can make it um um, you know, scalable, um, and and check out and make sure that it, it you know it's effective and um, something that you can rely on. Um, although as I say, we would never suggest it's, it should replace that that human connection and that uh, that care and support that people give. So, so yeah, it's just a, it's just another one of those things where we're trying to find part solutions to a much bigger problem. Uh, and if we can save one life through this technology then it's been worth every penny we've spent on it and it's been worth the sometimes traumatic journey of actually getting it to work. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> yeah, but no, it sounds like a really good investment and a great addition to, to other aspects of uh, care that you're doing for people. I think it's something, certainly when you've mentioned it before and I've spoken about it, I think I posted it on Twitter and I had quite a few people um, contacting me afterwards to ask a bit about it. Um, so it seems to be something that people are really kind of gearing towards the, the whole use of technology for, for overdose response as well. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, a bit later on this year, we'll have a we'll have a much better idea of, you know, what is possible, and we can, you know, start to sort of share that in terms of, you know, our lessons learned and experiences and and what's workable. But, um, but as I say, I would I would strongly say it doesn't replace, it doesn't change, our approach and our attitude and and how we need to skill up our staff and and how human we are as a service. Uh, we've never well, I say never. Uh, probably about and certainly in the last five years we don't exclude people uh, from taking drugs in our services we we you know it's, if we did that we'd we'd have a, a, a lot of empty beds at the moment but um but trying to create that 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 really open environment where people can talk honestly and openly about their drug use and about their risks and about their hopes and their fears is is much more important than than having technology in place but together yeah, it, it just strengthens our response, yeah. hopefully. So, Hugh, you and I had talked, we've talked quite a bit over the last year or so about harm reduction and preventing drug-related deaths. And you got in touch with me recently just about a role that you're developing for the organisation and it's really exciting. It's a new role. So do you want to just talk a bit about that and what you're looking for? Yeah, no, it's, 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 really, it's genuinely really exciting. It's it's. So we're looking to, to recruit a harm reduction coordinator to to work with a, across all our services and I suppose it's 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 kinda of like building bridges despite the fact that, that we we you know we're often working with the same client group. That there is a division between homelessness and the substance misuse world and you know, and it's difficult to remain connected and up to date so we're looking at this post as being that connection as that person that can bring the networks or can create the networks bring best evidence and best practice and really be that bridge to that to where the expertise is because i mean it's i would I was interested when, when when you were asking me to do the podcast i'm thinking you know something i really don't know a great deal about about your world and I would never pretend to, you know. Um so so this is an opportunity to bring someone in to work with us who really does, who really makes those connections. Um one of the things that came up during COVID was we were looking at how we can provide IEP within our accommodation services so that people didn't have to um venture out. And that was when we discovered actually we're not all thinking of in the same way. So whilst organizationally in my head I think we've got an absolutely clear approach to harm reduction. It did kind of highlight some issues about just say no was coming up in some of the some of the services. It was like, oh right, okay. So um, and that was I suppose that was a trigger for the well let let's let's get this right. Uh, let's get somebody in that can coordinate the training, can coordinate an approach. Um, so it's a really important role, and it's one that will will have a very loud voice within the organisation in terms of how we set our our stall out. The direction that we're going to go you know it's a hugely influential one in terms of you know it's not just somebody to come and do training we want that person to help guide us to help us understand to help us find solutions um you know and to help us be much better connected and much better at responding to people um 
in ways that work or ways that we can try to see if they work. So, so yeah, it's, 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 it's got a huge amount of creativity about it, a um, huge amount of uh, freedom of thought and freedom of action. Um, plus, we're a great organisation to work for. We're, we're, we've got loads of fantastic people. So you'd be joining a, they'd be joining a fabulous team as well, and a and a an organisation where you don't have to push against the door. The door is open. So, in terms of where we want to go and what we want to do, that isn't going to be the resistance there. You know, we're absolutely committed to, you know, change uh, and creativity, and making things happen. So, so yeah, super exciting post. I suppose organisations go on their own journey uh, and you go from a, a community providing accommodation to then looking at why people are needing accommodated and then you think, well, what can we do? Can we cure? Can we, can we save people? And actually, you know, we end up with, with harm reduction as a kind of as a, a pragmatic approach. And then actually now, nowadays there's more confidence, I think, in talking explicitly about harm reduction and people setting that as a purpose of organisations or individual roles within organisations. So, yeah, and I think that's what follows. And we've already talked about how SDF's more than happy to help support that person in their role and help create those links and those networks and contacts. So, uh, yeah, we'd be keen to, keen to do that and to help you support that. Although I believe that one of the uh, desirable or was it essential criteria is that they need to be able to make a good Victoria sponge. So... Yeah. I think I think it's undesirable, but it, sh- it really should have been an essential, shouldn't it? So, uh, unfortunately, I think we're going to be interviewing by camera. Otherwise, we might have been actually saying to people, "You need to bring in a victorious sponge oh, <laughs> for the interview panel." Could have been great, but, uh, it? <laughs> but maybe maybe the successful candidate, uh, the uh, first day in the job, uh, bring a victorious sponge in along with your. Uh, it's part of their probationary period. <laughs> <laughs> And if people wanted to find out about uh, applying for that role, uh, the details are accessible on the SDF website and also on the Simon Community website. And uh, and that's the 6th of June is the closing date for that. Is that Hugh? Yeah, 5th or 6th of June. Uh, 5th so, or 6th yes, of June. Um, Soggy bottoms did not apply. <laughs> <laughs> so Hugh, we've just covered a huge range of, uh, of the work that the Simon Community has been doing from uh, from the work in uh, testing new technologies, uh, the new harm reduction role. Uh, but just to bring it back uh, full circle with the hotels uh, and that have been um, temporarily housing uh, people who are experiencing homelessness, now that we seem to be entering into uh, less restrictions uh, and eventually, you know, at some point, life will go back to what will be somewhat normal, uh, what, what are the kind of next steps for, for these hotels? Are there any kind of thoughts on, on, on what will happen with them and also with the people who are, who are within them? They, they don't have a long lifespan. You know, at some point, certainly, that the hotels are going to be wanting to become hotels again as, as, as life returns to, as you said, what, whatever the new normal looks like. Um, the, there is a commitment from everybody that nobody's going to be discharged back onto the street. That would be absolute madness to, to, to do that. So the the big issue now is about reopening up the pathways because there has been a a lack of movement because the the a lot of the organisations out there that facilitate the move on into tenancies and you know housing associations and uh, private rented sector have have um, been severely restricted so they're beginning to gear up now and that's really the focus which is to look at opportunities particularly in Edinburgh for the private rented sector. Uh, because a lot of the Airbnbs are, 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 are empty and so they're coming back onto the market as rentals. 
uh, local housing allowance has increased by 20%, is it 20%, 30%, but it's brought a lot more uh, accommodation and, and affordability um, and the availability as well in Edinburgh. So real opportunities in Edinburgh and somewhere in Glasgow to, to use you know, social housing, private rented sector, um, and in some cases communal living, because some people need that level of support for some time to come yet. Um, so that's that's where we're gearing up for now, and that's the discussions that are taking place in, how, in terms of how you ramp up things like Housing First so that people move on in a positive direction. Um, I think for me, some of the things I would like to see changing in the future, I know this might sound a bit strange, but the, we, we know that, that uh, particularly in, the, in, the, in our cities and in Scotland, people are incredibly generous, and for people on the street who are begging, um, people will put money in their cup, but we have found that the the absence of that allows people to make other choices and and healthier choices. Um, but that only comes if services are there ready for them. Um, so taking the work of the, the certainly around Edinburgh about proactive, assertive, fast responding services that can get not just get people on the street but can provide that wraparound support. I think is is definitely the way forward, and we should try to retain that and build on that. But yeah, I, I think for me it, it's there's been a lot over the last two months that can show what you can achieve, what can be done, uh, and we have got some remarkable success stories about people who everybody had given up on, um, and you know they, where they are now is just absolutely remarkable in terms of their health, their well-being, their accommodation, and. And their desire never to return to, to, to that street lifestyle again. So, so yeah, huge, huge lessons in what's, what's possible. Um, so the hope is let's not lose any of them as we go forward. Um, and let's provide that wraparound support and the accommodation, good accommodation that people need. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a, a great place to end it for today then. Uh, so just want to say thanks very much, uh, Hugh, for joining us, uh, not only for the podcast today, but you can also... Go back and listen to uh, Hugh's webinar, uh, well, the homelessness webinar that SDF did a couple of weeks back that Hugh was also part of uh, presenting at there. So you can find out a little bit more context about about the uh, the hotels and some of the other work that Hugh's been talking about. I think I'm done asking you to do things for now, Hugh. So <laughs> Don't believe that for a minute. Don't believe that. But... Um... It's quid pro quo, so yeah, any time, doesn't it? <laughs> Great, well, until next time then, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks.